It's undeniable that church is changing because of our relationship to technology. At Faith Life, we have a front row seat to that change as it unfolds across thousands of churches of all traditions and sizes, because we use technology to equip the church to grow in the light of the Bible. My name is Kristen Tete, and I make things here at Faith Life because ministry is in my blood. I'm a millennial, but don't turn off the podcast. It just means I'm a digital native, so I can help you. Technology is a tool, but a tool without a purpose is useless. So in the Equipping the Church podcast, we'll not only teach you how to use some of the technology you might already have, we'll help you apply what you learn to your context. Every Sunday morning, thousands of churches across the U.S. get up extra early to roll their church-in-a-box equipment into a rented school building or community center. Today, we explore what it is to be a nomadic church and provide tips to sustain your team of volunteers. Today's guest is John Paziwick of Whistler Community Church a church in, as you can probably guess by the name, Whistler, BC. We're interested to hear from Pastor John because his church meets in an elementary school building in the middle of a vacation town. So if anyone has thoughts about set up and tear down church culture, it's this pastor. I met Pastor John earlier this year when I had the opportunity to visit the church and I was struck by how welcoming and relaxed the church felt. I was able to experience much of what a first-time visitor to the church was like, and it was a privilege to witness the volunteers finishing the setup and warmly greeting all of the guests that were walking through the doors. Welcome, Pastor John. Thanks for being here with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Great. So, as I mentioned, we want to talk about what it's like to be a part of a church that uh, sets up and tears down every single week. So, your church is held in an elementary school building in the heart of Whistler. How has that impacted the culture of your church? Well, meeting in a elementary school space, uh, it does a few things for us. Uh, first, it, it puts us pr- present in the community. Um, we're not isolated. We are where people are going, you know, the other six days a week for various activities. And so there's a level of comfort that it it gives people. Um, for a lot of unchurched people, there's definitely an intimidation factor about entering into a worship space if it's not something that you grew up with. And that's certainly a lot of the case for a lot of our visitors. Um, when that space has basketball hoops, uh, it's less of an unknown. People are familiar with that. They're maybe not familiar with some of the other uh, aesthetics that are commonly found in churches. So there's uh, a level of ease that people feel and they feel totally comfortable walking in just as they are, even if that's in their ski and snowboard boots even if that's dragging in their mountain bike and all their dirty gear in the middle of summer, Mm -hmm. uh, they're okay with that. And, you know, I, I have to admit, um, I did, I did struggle with that for a long time. You know, I want this to be a space of reverence and worship. Um, but it's worth remembering that, uh, Jesus came into our space. Like he's God with us. He, he chose to, come and be laid in a manger. So maybe basketball hoops and mountain bikes are, are just okay with him. Uh, the other, the other thing that it, it requires, uh, or that it does for our 
culture of our church is it requires a high level of commitment from volunteers to make things happen on a Sunday. Um, so the majority of the people who do live in Whistler, they, they help because they have to. They know that we need them. I know that a lot of churches do struggle with what they call the 80-20 rule or the 90-10 rule where you know 10% of the people do 90% of the work uh, in the life of the church. And uh, we don't really have the luxury of having that because people know that we need them. They know that we need to tear down every Sunday. They know that we need to set up. They know that if you know they don't step up and help uh they're never going to hear the end of it from us so they might, <laughs> it's just easier to give in and and you know pitch in how did you guys decide that this was where you were going to meet so this goes way back uh before my time uh for the first 15 years of the church's existence uh the church met in a small a-frame skiers chapel that was actually really close to the original Whistler gondola um there was no heat uh, it was a very small space uh in order to save space, they had this acoustic piano that only had four octaves, which I've never seen in existence anywhere else. Uh, the chapel was also home to multiple other faith groups. And uh, I don't know which came first, whether our community church outgrew the building or uh, it just became increasingly impossible to agree to the terms of sharing a multi-faith space. Uh, but we made the move to a school and uh and that was where we would have lots of room to grow. We'd have all the facilities we would need. At the same time, we also had a vision for a more permanent home. And so we began work on acquiring a piece of land for a church building. And it has been a very long journey. It started in about 2001. And hopefully we're going to put some shovels in the ground this April. For real. That's it's awesome. Happen. <laughs> yeah. So who had the vision for having a church in Whistler in the first place? Well, there was a group of believers who were up here in the late 70s who recognized that there was no church. They recognized that we needed something here because this is a culture that needs Jesus. These are people that need Jesus. And there was initially a lot of pushback from people in the wider church community outside Whistler who were like, why on earth would we ever plant a church in Whistler? Uh, that's just a, a party town. You know, mm -hmm. there aren't Christians there already or not very many. So uh, the, the original group of people in a small Bible study really did persevere. They gave sacrificially to hire their first pastor part-time in 79. And uh, they, they stuck with it and they were committed to seeing it become what it is today. And so we actually do, despite all the transients of our community, we do have a few people, a handful of people who were part of the original group 40 years ago, which is incredible. Oh, that is incredible. Mm -hmm. So remind me, how many years have you been the pastor at this church? I've been there for, I've been here for five years. Okay. Actually, it was five years this last week. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, what prompted you to pastor a church in a vacation town that cycles people through on a weekly basis? Yeah. So, um, you know, prior to coming up here, I had come up here for a vacation a few times, you know, over my lifetime. Uh, my wife and I had come up here for our anniversary and we've been tourists. And then in May of 2014, we were asked uh, to come up here for me to preach and fill in on the pulpit. And that was the first time I really kind of investigated what is, what is the church scene in Whistler? What is the Christian community like in Whistler? And I quickly realized, I quickly learned that, you know, on a Sunday morning, 
less than 1% of the people in this town will be in a church. Now, only God knows what's going on in people's hearts, but even when you account for all the people that, you know, might attend, say, once a month or say more than Christmas and Easter in the course of a year, uh, this is an unreached community. This is a community that desperately needs the gospel. And uh, you see what's go- what goes on in this town, uh, the kinds of lifestyles people have, and you realize just how desperately they need Jesus. So um, I, I felt, I felt that need. The, the previous community I ministered in was, you know, about, about 35% of the population attended church regularly. So the difference was pretty jarring. Um, but aside from the numbers, there was also a really exciting multicultural aspect to ministering here that I, I really loved. I started my ministry journey at a multicultural church plant in Abbotsford, uh, that met at a school and was about the same size. And, uh, I, that instilled in me a a really deep love for the multicultural character of the kingdom of God. And, uh, here in Whistler, it is not at all uncommon for us to have 20 different nationalities represented on a Sunday morning. Um, most of the people here are not born in British Columbia, half of not, uh, born in, in, in Canada and our denomination, which is the Mennonite brethren, we have a history of being very culturally homogeneous. Um, and I love that this church is definitely not, it is, it is a really beautiful thing. It is a, a foretaste of heaven and that diversity is not only cultural, it's, it's actually, uh, it operates on the level of denomination and tradition as well. So we do get, we do get people from all kinds of backgrounds. We have, Lutherans, we have free church people, we have Anglicans, Methodists, Presbyterians, we have Charismatics, Pentecostals, Baptists, Anabaptists, everything from soup to nuts. Um, wow, that's fascinating. It, yeah, so we get the, to do this experiment in in church unity that a lot of communities don't get to do mm-hmm. because they have to deal with church hopping and church shopping and and a consumer mentality that says, I have to find a church that's the right fit for me. And here because you don't have that opportunity, you have to find your place in the family of God. You have to wrestle with a lot of the differences that that we have in what we've grown up with and what we expect. Um, our theological differences, we actually have to go to the Word and discuss them. We can't just uh, have them as no-go topics of conversation. We have to work through that. So uh, there's a tremendous opportunity there to uh, let the Word of God speak to us as we are one family and to experience the unity that we will experience in you in eternity together. So I love it. So as you look forward to a new season of building a permanent place, Mm -hmm. what has been some of the advantages that you can think of for being, having several years in a borrowed building? Hmm. Definitely. uh, Having that volunteer culture where people realize that they have a a part to play. They have a role in serving together and it's not going to be done for them. You know, Uh, the last thing we would want moving into a new building is for us to, you know, say, okay, that's it. You've all put in your time. Now you can sit back, relax, and we'll just put on the show for you. That, That can't be it at all. It's like, okay, for 40 years, we've been doing setup. We've been doing teardown. Now that we have, alleviated some of the 
you know, com- time uh, consuming activities of, of that, let's pivot and turn our focus more outward to reaching the community. Let's put our energy and our time and effort into other uh, ministry activities that will uh, show the gospel to this community. So um, I think that making the investment up front in in getting people engaged uh, will pay dividends in the years to come for sure. Mm-hmm. And so, but for now you are still in the setting up and the tearing down phase and that obviously requires a lot of effort. Yep, for sure. And as you mentioned, volunteers. So yeah. what are some of the systems you've been able to put in place that help you accomplish this every week? Yeah. I mean, uh, it takes a lot of work. And so we have had to delegate uh, oversight and responsibility for all the things that need to happen to uh, a lot of different ministry leaders and point lay point people. uh, Because we quickly learned that uh, the pastor (laughs) cannot be, the responsible go-to person to put out all the fires on Sunday morning before getting up to preach. Uh, you know, I just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. And we needed to empower leaders to set schedules and train people and be team leaders that ensure that the job gets done, that everyone's working together and uh, keeping an, an eye on the reason for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, so that's been really key. Another strategy has been to simplify everything. So when it, whenever we're thinking about, you know, what we're going to do to make Sunday morning better, uh, simplicity is prized over perhaps quality sometimes. Um, you know, our lighting is not as good as it could be, but it's as good as it can be with the amount of set at time we can, uh, <laughs> we have to work with. Uh, it may not be as cheap as it could be, but um, our our most valuable resource really is, is the people and their willingness. So um, we want to make sure that we have equipment that works for them reliably so that uh, we're not stuck trying to troubleshoot stuff on Sunday mornings. And it does happen, but uh, – we want to make sure that we have have an eye on stewarding the resource of effort that people are willing to put in. Right. And in light of that, how are you recruiting your volunteers and, you know, encouraging them to be consistent, to come back and involve in different things? Yeah. So with recruiting, that, that's an interesting uh, challenge that we have. Um, you know, as with fo- fighting forest fires, we have adopted this motto of hit hard, hit fast. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that uh, when we see new people walk into the church, um, you know, as with the the seasonal coming and going of people, uh, we want to introduce ourselves right away. We want to get to know them as quickly as possible. Uh, we want to draw them into community life. And we also want to get them plugged in with serving as, as quickly as possible. Um, and so that really depends on us as leaders instilling a culture of, of hospitality and welcoming that is always has eyes open for new people. We can't just kind of keep our heads down and be like, I'm going to go to church and talk to the same people every week. And I'm not going to acknowledge new people. No, we know that we need new people. We know that we have a limited amount of time with them. And so we, we want to really, get them in as soon as possible. I remember uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago, 
this guy came up to me who had just moved to the from the Philippines a few days before. And he says, uh, how do I get connected with someone about auditioning for the worship team? And I was standing next to our worship coordinator and uh he looks at the guy and says, you've just had your audition. Welcome aboard. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, what do you, what instrument do you play? Um, details later. <laughs> yeah, details later. You know, when, when I first came to Whistler, I was definitely a lot firmer about screening and discerning volunteers, and I had a much more lengthy process. Um, and I definitely recognized the need to be vigilant uh, and protect people. However, I've realized that um, if you are willing to have one-to-one conversations with people and go deep and uh, and go deep quickly with people, um, you can quickly figure out who is going to be a good leader and, and who you can trust and, and who maybe you need to keep on the sidelines a bit. But it really depends on on relationships versus having a formal process. I mean, at a larger church, you have the scale to train and intake batches of people and have orientations and classes and those kinds of things. Um, we don't have the scale to do that. Uh, being small, we also have the opportunity to have those one-to-one conversations. We have the opportunity to spend that time with people and bring them in quickly. So that's how we recruit them. Um, as far as keeping them and keeping them motivated, we have to do a lot of work on communicating the vision of why we're doing what we're doing. You know, when you, when you show up on a Sunday morning at at eight o'clock to start setting up chairs or make coffee, recognize that you are not just doing it because we asked you to, we, you, you're doing it because, because God sees, because Jesus is glorified in those menial tasks. You do it because this is a way of showing love on a very practical level uh, to the rest of the church and all the visitors who will come through. And so when you think of it in, tho- in those terms, it allows you to uh, be willing, first of all, to get up early and be there, to be gracious when things maybe don't go as smoothly as you'd like, or maybe someone says something you know, critical of the job you've done or whatever, when you're doing it for the Lord, you can handle those things and keep going and not give up. And so that's been really important is just to keep communicating that. Why are we doing what we're doing? So, yeah, that's a a big thing is volunteer retention. Right. And like I mentioned earlier, when I visited, I've witnessed that. I saw everybody doing their part and doing it joyfully. And yeah, the service was up and running in in no time. And (laughs) yeah, that was really neat to see. Yeah. Like I would say we are definitely not... Uh, that polished um, in what we do. Uh, there's lots of mistakes. You know, y- you can count on the lighting being wrong or the issues with the sound system. It, it happens. Yeah. And we do work towards excellence. We do want uh, everything we do to be an act of worship. So we don't do it carelessly. But at the same time, because people are usually only here for two years, we are constantly training new people. And that means there's a, a steep learning curve uh, sometimes, um, you know, when we, we've we got no one else to work the soundboard except for someone who maybe only watched it be done two or three times before, there's going to be mistakes, but we're okay with that. You know, like when my, I have, a, I have three kids 
And when my seven-year-old girl brings me a card that she made for me that says, Daddy, I love you. Love, Natalia. You know, and all the Ds are backwards and four, <laughs> four out of the seven words are spelled wrong or whatever. I don't look at that and go, oh, why can't you get this right? You know, I see her heart and, and, I, and I know that the Lord sees people's hearts too. He, he sees when they don't care and when they're careless, but he also sees when they're trying and maybe it's not working so good. And uh, he knows exactly where we're at. He knows uh, what's going on in, in our minds. And so, you know, I think it's important for us to recognize that too. So we have to be gracious when our volunteers maybe don't do things perfectly. And we also have to stand up for them when people sometimes are critical and they're like, why can't the sound be better? Well, first of all, we're in a gym and acoustics are a nightmare there. Uh, but second of all, you know what? It doesn't really matter that much. Um, you know, we're not here to perform. We're here to worship. And that's about what's going on in our hearts and, and less about what's coming out of the speakers. You know, um, I've, we, we, we have missions partnerships with, uh, you know, a, a ministry in India, when we go there and we're out in the, in the jungle and we're worshiping with our brothers and sisters there and someone's singing their heart out with a bullhorn uh, because they don't have a proper sound system. The Lord is not displeased with them for not doing better. He's recognizing their heart and that they're giving it all with what they have. So that's what we want to communicate to our congregation is look, look at what's going on in people's hearts and don't, don't sweat it when things aren't perfect. Right. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. So aside from finding volunteers and yeah. the logistics and the coordination, how do you foster a deep sense of community when you don't have a permanent location? Yeah, our, our, our sense of community, it is remarkably deep. And I'm really thankful for that. But to be honest, so much of that is our external circumstances. First of all, that no one... Uh, here in Whistler has an extended family uh, that they can retreat into or depend on. We very quickly have to become family to one another because there's no one else to call. There's no one else to eat with. We need each other. And even spiritually, when we represent less than 1% of the population in this town, um, we need our, our brothers and sisters to support us. And so that has made our community, our, our church family, pretty tight knit. Um, you know, I know each size of church will have a different dynamic to it. And, you know, our church on a, nowadays we're probably about 130 on a Sunday morning. Um, and we are remarkably tight knit for a group that size, but I think it's because of that outside pressure. Um, one of the other things we do is we always look for ways to serve each other practically and that can be things like finding housing, uh, finding employment, helping one another move. Um, we have a couple of Facebook pages, where one where people can share their prayer requests and they can pray for one another. Another one where people can share their practical needs and like, hey, I'm, I'm looking for help with X, Y, Z or Z, as you would say, uh, you know, this, this coming week, is there anyone who can help me or, or give me a ride or whatever? And, and we will do it. Like people really do go out of their way to help one another out. And so that, that pulls us together. Um, on a heart level, there's a strong need to be intentional about welcoming new people because 
most people here, they're on a two-year working visa. And that means that, you know, our friend groups change often. And that's a really hard thing. It's hard to always be saying goodbye. You know, I remember one summer where my wife and I said goodbye to 16 of our closest friends. They all moved back to Australia. And we were like, oh, how many times are we going to do this? But we realized that that is both the blessing and, and the challenge and the opportunity of being in Whistler is that new people always come and God has put us here to welcome those new people. So we have to be intentional about keeping our hearts open and, and being welcoming to new people because we are here to serve them. And they, are, they, they come as gifts and blessings to us if we're willing to receive them. But we can't allow ourselves to, to become hard and shut ourselves off to them um, because if we do that, we will fail in our, in our mission and we will also ourselves become bitter, miserable people. We don't want that to happen. Right. So for our last question, I want to get very practical. Okay. What are some tools, tips, or tricks that have helped you build community at your church in light of it being not in a permanent building and people coming and going with setup and teardown and all of that? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Very practically, it means we eat together a lot. <laughs> mm. We have a, a potluck every month um, where we all eat together. Um, uh, in our home groups, uh, quite a few of our home groups begin with a meal. So we first we eat dinner together, and then we we have our Bible study. Uh, when we have our our men's ministry events, we meet over breakfast. Women's ministry events happen over uh, appetizers or desserts and stuff. Um, and table fellowship is a big thing. And and I mean it's a big thing in Scripture too. Jesus, like if you read the Gospel of Luke, he's either always coming or going, coming from or going to a meal. And, and that's really a sign of being at peace with one another, enjoying one another's company is when you can sit across them from a table with someone and eat with them. So eating is a big thing for us. Um, another thing is, is our home groups and, and welcoming one another into our homes. Um, Whistler's unique in that a lot of people don't live in kind of normal housing situations. A lot of people live in shared houses with lots of people where maybe they only have a bedroom and they very seldom ever have the chance to be in a home with a family and, and sit at a table with other people. So that's a big, a big thing as well. Um, serving together is also big. So we have various outreach activities throughout the, the year where we, we want to serve together. And so we, try to get almost everybody out. And so we've had pretty good showings with that in the past. So when we are shoulder to shoulder um, and, and focused on a task, then we're, we're bound together, you know, setting up and tearing down and doing Sunday mornings together. We, we need each other and we, we serve together. So that actually functions on a very practical level to bind us together. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. Well, that is our last question for you. John, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It's been an honor to speak with you, and I'm sure our listeners will be blessed with what you've shared today. Thanks again. You're welcome. Are you a nomadic church? Tell us your story in our Equipping the Church community at faithlife.com slash ETC podcast.
sustaining a team of volunteers is challenging. Here are a few simple things we can do to encourage our volunteers and improve consistency. An important thing to remember is to spend some time getting to know who your volunteers are on a personal level. If your volunteer is sick or in need, reaching out to them or simply noticing can make a big difference in feeling cared for. When you get to know who your volunteers are, you can encourage them to use their gifts in the right capacity. Another way to sustain a team of consistent and thriving volunteers is to cover all logistics. Make sure your volunteers feel equipped to do their jobs. I know for me personally, when I first started volunteering at my church on coffee and communion setup duty, I so appreciated that the coordinator walked me through each step and also printed out directions so that when I was on my own, I could take ownership and do my job well. An equally important thing to remember is to pray for your volunteers. Ask that God would make his presence known in their ministry. This segment was adapted from an article in the Ministry Team magazine, and we hope you find it encouraging as you go about the rest of your day. If you'd like to subscribe to Ministry Team, go to ministryteam.com etc. Today's podcast was brought to you by Faith Life and co-produced by Amber Smith and me, Kristen Tete. Our audio technician is Jack Underwood. To subscribe and learn more about how to equip your church, go to faithlife.com slash podcasts slash ETC. If this is useful to you, take a moment to rate and review the Equipping the Church podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen. While you're there, give us your ideas for future episodes. And as always, we love hearing your stories. So share them with us at faithlife.com slash ETC podcast. Thanks for spending your time with us today. Blessings to you in your ministry.